0: So, we've been going through a sermon series, and I think the slide with the cover of the book is there, Amanda? Yeah. So, we're going through this sermon series, Jesus is the Question. And again, if you haven't gotten the book, but you're looking for something to read, I highly recommend it. Um, Guess what today is, though, guys? Today is not a question. Today is the questions Jesus answers directly. You've been waiting. You've been on the edge of your seat week after week, but what? When do we get to the place where Jesus answers these questions? So, uh, I want you to look at the title just for a minute. The subtitle says, "The 307 Questions Jesus Asked and the Three He Answered." That's the subtitle, right? When you get to chapter 10 in the book, Jesus answers eight. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm no editor. But if the the title of the book is the three questions Jesus answers, but then the chapter you wrote, there's eight of them. Come on. Anyway, there's eight. I'm not covering eight. I'm only going to cover three because that's what the book says. Uh, So what I'm going to give you all eight, I'm going to list them. So Jesus is asked, how do I enter eternal life? He answers that one directly. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He answers that one directly. Jesus is asked, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Jesus answers that one directly. Jesus is asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Didn't Moses command that a man give his wife his certificate of divorce and send her away? And since I'm not going to cover this one today, let me give you Jesus' answer. He says, no, you can't divorce women like that. In fact, the passage that Jesus addresses here about divorce is motivated, I would argue, to protect women who are vulnerable in this time, where they can be divorced for almost any reason. And then, once divorced... They no longer. Right now, you're vulnerable because you, you. I mean, many of them couldn't work. You were often considered property. Like, if I'm not married, what do I do? And Jesus says, No, you can't divorce outside of marital unfaithfulness. That's the only thing. The only reason you can get divorced. Essentially, protecting women against uh, against divorce and the oppression that that caused. Jesus is asked by his disciples, "Why can't we heal like you?" And he says. Because you lack faith. He answers that one pretty directly. Jesus is asked, where are we going to eat the Passover meal? That's not a super deep one. And he's like, you'll find a donkey in like an upper room. (laughs) Jesus is asked by the disciples, which one of us is going to betray you? And this is weird. He kind of answers it directly. He doesn't say Judas. Uh, He's like, the one, sorry, this is the way, the, the one who dips the bread with me and the oil or whatever. Is like, so like, then it's like Judas is like gets his bread out or something. Ah, me? Yes, you. Um, <laughs> and then Jesus is asked by Pontius Pilate, are you the Christ? Now, if you remember, Jesus initially is like, I don't know, uh, you say that I am. But eventually, uh, Jesus says, it is as you say. Uh, which is about as close to a direct answer as Jesus ever gives. So he does answer some of those directly. We're going to look at the the first three in some detail. How do I enter eternal life? What is the greatest commandment? And how many times should I forgive? I'm not shocked that these three questions Jesus answers directly because he's not going to mess around with the heart of the gospel. These questions get straight to the heart of what is this all about? What are we supposed to be doing here as your disciples? What does it mean to be Christian? Like in my mind, you can get rid of the creeds and just replace them with the answers to these questions. This is our creed. This is what defines us as Christians. This is what we're about. And so Jesus does try to answer them directly. So we'll go to number one. How to enter eternal life. And so this is from Matthew 19, and I think the words will be on the screen. A man approached Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, of course, first with a question, Why do you ask me about what is good? (laughs) Uh, But don't worry, then he answers it. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, Keep the commandments. And the man said, which ones? And Jesus said, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, the Ten Commandments. Now, something to note here, when someone comes to Jesus and says, how do I gain eternal life? Do you want to know what Jesus doesn't say? believe X, Y, or Z. Jesus doesn't say, let's pray the sinner's prayer together. That's how you get eternal life. Jesus doesn't say you have to be baptized. Jesus doesn't do all the stuff we say you need for eternal life. Jesus says, be obedient to God. Ooh. That's challenging, right? Especially as good Protestants who say, like, we don't earn our way to heaven, right? We don't, you can't earn it, um, which is true. You, of course you can't earn it. Like, what could you do to deserve it? But uh, if you, if you want to know what Jesus says about uh, eternal life, he says, obey God's commands. Be a disciple. Bend the knee. The second question, we're going to come back to this, don't worry. The second question, what is the greatest commandment? So this comes from Mark 12, Uh, the words will be on the screen. Uh, One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. So he came over and asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus replied, and this is very direct, the most important one is this Israel, listen up. Our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Of course, Jesus cheats there and gave two. (laughs) Which is the greatest commandment, two. So I think, I I hope you're hearing the logic here a little bit, right? That Jesus is laying out the core message of what it means to be Christian, what it means to serve God. God says, you want eternal life? You love me, obey my commands. What is the greatest command? To love God and to love your neighbor. I'll come back. Let's go to the third question. And this question is a little bit like, how? How am I going to do that? How am I gonna love my neighbor? They're the worst, right? Aren't neighbors the worst? And I don't mean like your literal neighbor, I just mean people you come in contact with. Right? That's that's what a neighbor is. A neighbor is anyone in your sphere of influence or contact. So the third question Jesus answers directly comes from Matthew 18. Peter asks Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive them as many as seven times? And Jesus said, not just seven times, but rather as many as 77 times, seven times seven. Then Jesus tells the parable at this point of the unforgiving servant to sort of highlight the point of the necessity of forgiveness in the Christian life. By answering these three questions directly, Jesus has sort of laid it out for us. The first one is about eternal life, but I can tell you I read eternal life a little differently. I don't think when Jesus responds to the man who's talking about eternal life, I don't think Jesus is talking about fire insurance here. Like Jesus, what, how do I stay out of hell? Like that's not how the question's phrased and I don't think that's how Jesus answers it. I don't think we're talking about fire insurance. When Jesus is talking about eternal life, I read it like abundant life, the heavenly life, life to the full, a life set free, free from all the things I do to shackle myself, Free from selfishness. Free from fear. Free from all the, from like power and violence. Freedom from all the things I do, right? You want to live abundantly? You want to live free? You want to live into heaven now? Well, then listen to God. Stop lying about each other. Stop harming each other. Stop killing each other. Stop stealing from each other. Stop gossiping. Love God. Care about your neighbor. Because if you can do those things, then you're going to set yourself free. You're going to set yourself on a path to abundant life, heavenly life, this moment, this day. That's what it means. That's what it looks like. God is not giving us things to do to make our lives miserable. God is not here to Oppress your, Jesus says, my yoke is light. My burden is light. These commands are here to help you live abundantly. To live a life filled with purpose and meaning. With passion and direction. And so Jesus reiterates this idea of, if you want this life, then you obey. It comes in multiple places. We're going to look at a few in John. John chapter 14. Jesus reiterates this three times. Verse 12. I assure you, Jesus says, that whoever believes in me, whoever says they're a disciple, whoever says they're a Christian, will do the things that I do. Again, he doesn't talk about belief. Doesn't talk about a prayer. Will imitate Jesus. In fact, Jesus says they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to go to the Father and my spirit will be unleashed on them. Verse 15, Jesus says again, If you love me, you will obey my commands. Verse 23, Jesus answered, Whoever loves me will keep my word. This is not a mystery. Jesus is not confusing here. He is not telling you a parable. Loving God is about being faithful to God. Loving God is about our heart being changed, allowing God to set us free from all the things that enslave us that we might live a flourishing life. Love is about following, obeying, committing. But then, of course, I want to know Okay, but if, I'm gonna, if, if love is about obedience to God, what's the one command I really need to follow, right? <laughs> what's the one, what's the most important? And that's the second question Jesus answers. And of course, the most important is to love your neighbor. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. My commands are to, obey, are to love your neighbor. And that means, Christians, you want to love God, you got to love your neighbor. That's how you love God. You want to love God, you love your neighbor. Is the logic as clear as it can be? It has to be to you. How do I inherit eternal life? Follow the commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey the commands. That's how we love God, Obey obedience. What's the greatest command? Love your neighbor. If you want to love God, you love your neighbor. That's the heart of the gospel. And Jesus doesn't mince words about this. He answers them directly. All the law and the prophets can be reduced to that. Because it's the hardest thing in the world to do and it's the thing we all need because love here I'm telling you love is not being nice love is not nice love is not smiling mm-hmm thank you love is not just doing small acts of kindness here or there love is a way of being in the world that costs us everything God wants to ruin your life for the good ruin your comfort Ruin your safety. Ruin your routine. Take away your illusion of control. He wants to burn it all to the ground so that you can live as a living sacrifice. Broken and poured out for the world in love. It looks radical. It sounds to my uh, undisciplined ear like maybe that might be misery, and yet Jesus says it's the abundant life. How much do I trust? How much faith do I have? Let that be our creed. To love radically with everything we've got in ways that cost us something, in ways that risk. Of course, the third question is about how. How can I do that when people hurt me? How can I do that when the world is filled with pain? How can I do that in a room filled of humans, myself included, that hurt one another, that don't follow through, that do gossip, that are judgmental, that stab each other in the back? How can we possibly love the way Jesus asks us to? I don't know. How many times are we supposed to forgive? I mean, I, I, I'm guessing Jesus' answer is something like, as many times as it takes. That's how many times. How am I going to love my neighbor when well, I'm going to learn how to forgive? Because I don't know how to make any relationship work without grace. I don't know how to make any relationship work without learning how to forgive. And the people I have to forgive the most are my family. The people I have to forgive me the most are my family. It's all of you. I've had to apologize to more congregation members than you'll ever know. Well, some of you know because I've apologized to you. Because I've hurt you. Because we're a family. Because we do hard things together. And when you do hard things together, you're not going to get it right. You're going to get it wrong. And that's okay. And each one of you forgave me. And our relationship is restored. And many of you have broken relationships in your own life. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to reiterate, forgiveness does not mean you are a doormat. That's not what it means. You draw boundaries. You protect yourself. You care about yourself. You make sure you're safe. And then you also wish the person well. And you hope what is best for them. But do you understand how that doesn't make any sense outside of God existing in the world? Outside of the logic of God? I, my, my vision of the future, I've, I see a future where when a Christian sits down next to you on a plane and you start talking and they say, oh, I'm a Christian, I see a future where you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that what that person's committed to is loving their neighbor with everything they've got. Period. Because right now, I'm, I'm not sure I know that. I'm not sure you know that even if I sat next to you on a plane. I don't want being Christian to indicate my political views. I don't want to know that about them. Saying I'm Christian shouldn't tell me anything about your politics. Well, maybe some things. Uh, It shouldn't tell me very much about it. Right? Saying you're Christian shouldn't tell me about, like, your occupation. I'm not sure it should tell me about all of your beliefs, but it should tell me that you love your neighbor. Uh, I've been in a dialogue with uh, Doug McCabe. He, he comes here, uh, and he might, in fact, be on Zoom. Uh, and so he sent me this quote from, I almost just said Jordan Peterson. That's not who it is. Uh, Living Translation Bible. Why can't I think of his name? Eugene. Whoa. You guys should be preaching. That was in, that, that was in unison. Eugene. Oh, there it is. You guys have the Sparks notes. You guys have the cheating notes. Uh, ah! So Eugene Peterson, from his book, Practicing Resurrection, uh, Doug sent this to me, and it was like, a, like, like it's my new phrase. Get used, get used to it, people, because I'm going to drive it to the ground. To be a witness does not consist in engaging in propaganda, nor even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery. Ooh, I like that. Be a living mystery, which means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. Live in such a way that your life would not make sense to the people around you if God did not exist. Because do you want to know what life would make sense without God? Like capitalism, wealth, the military, self-defense... Power, control, all that makes sense without God. That just makes sense given human nature. A desire to survive. A desire to attain, accumulate, protect. But do you know what kind of life doesn't make sense without God? Jesus. What, under what normal view would, would Jesus' life be the abundant life? Only a life of faith. Jesus' life is only the abundant life of God exists if the resurrection is true. To live, to empty oneself in love for one's neighbor, in love for God, only makes sense if God actually exists. If life gets the last word, not death. If hope gets the last word, not despair. If resurrection gets the last word, not the cross. That's the life I'm calling you to lead. That's the life God's calling me to lead. Where we're defined by our radical love for ourselves and for one another. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful most of the time for all of your questions and for your parables and for the demanding way you call us to listen and to respond. But I am... I am overwhelmingly grateful that you answered these questions so directly. That you cut through all the things that divide us. That you cut through all the things that pull us apart. And you went straight to the heart of what unifies us. And that is love for you and love for ourselves and love of neighbor. Help this to be a radical love, not an easy love. A love that calls us to be a living sacrifice. A love that demands everything from us, trusting that you will provide it all back and more in return. Amen. If you would please stand for our closing song.